Welcome to today's episode of the Speak to the Rod podcast with Chuck and Chris. Well, welcome to today's episode of Speak to the Rod podcast with Chuck and Christy. Um, I'm very, very glad to be back and very, very excited because we have a special guest today. Uh, we're very proud. We're very excited to have Robert Duran, uh, who is my not only my father-in-law, but my spiritual father. And we wanted to have this interview and um, asking him about his testimony, a few questions, revival, especially where everything that is going on now in the colleges and universities in the United States. And, you know, I, I wanted to really ask him different things. I want to welcome you today. Um, I thank you for taking this time to share. And uh, we just want to introduce yourself first. Well, my name is Robert Duran. I'm going to be 73 in a few months. And, uh, well, something really interesting just happened, and I didn't even realize it. Two days ago, I... Uh, had my 50th anniversary of my conversion oh. on the 18th of February, 1973. And I think that's kind of a wild thing. Yeah, that's, an, that's a milestone for sure. I mean, for us young people, you know, just thinking about being, I mean, not, not only 50-year-old age, but 50-year-olds, you know, Christi and Christianity. And also you, you were called to ministry right after you got sick. Can, can you tell us a little bit of your testimony, you know? Yeah, well, there's a lot to say. Uh, it was during a revival, and that's why I'm really excited about uh, what's going on right now, because I got converted during the Jesus People uh, revival, and uh, I was not looking for God. I, uh, I had no intention of ever being a Christian. Uh, my life was totally different. I was uh, involved in drugs, and my life was just uh, a real mess, and... Um, I went out on the streets that night, uh, that would have been uh, the 17th, and uh, I was going to do a drug deal that night, and some young people were out on the street uh, having a street meeting. So uh, I I was parked in a parking lot, and I just stopped and listened, and you know, listened to the music, they had some music, they had some testimonies, and then a couple of them came over to my car and uh, started talking to me about Christ, and uh, I was not really interested it, it's it was raining and i was inside the car and they were standing outside and they were getting wet and actually i was just thinking how long are they going to put up with the rain <laughs> and uh and they did for quite a while pretty soon the the girl's mascara started running down her face and and they were very uh, uh dedicated and they really wanted me to uh, uh to know about the love of god i wasn't interested so finally, at the end, I just finally agreed that uh, that I would go home and uh, and read the New Testament. And they told me to start reading the book of John. So uh, my drug deal that night fell through. And uh, I went home. And sure enough, you know, I started reading the, the book of John. And uh, something happened. It was like the book of John was alive. And it was like I was right there with Christ during, you know, as I was reading. So the next day I was, uh, I wanted to go find these young people to see where they were at. And they had told me basically where they were uh, staying. So I went and I uh, I walked up to the door. It must've been nine-ish maybe in the morning. And uh, the door was open. And uh, this was in California, Los Banos, California. And uh, 
I was looking in the in the room and there was like um, maybe 20, maybe 25 young people inside the living room and they were praying. And some were, you know, laid out on the floor, some were kneeling, some were just sitting in the couch you know, with their eyes closed and uh, and uh, some were praying really loud. And you know, some were just, you know, praying real quietly. But as I stood there, I uh, I was made aware that they were praying for me because they kept talking about about me, they were mentioning my name, Robert Duran. And that was kind of a weird thing. So uh, I just kept standing there. Finally, one of the young men noticed that I was sitting there. So he came and uh, and uh, took me into a little room. And uh, he said, what do you want? And I said, well, I uh, some of your people talked to me last night. That I, and they said, well, do you want to get right with God? I said, no, I don't even believe in God. And then, you know, the conversation went, you know, uh, here and there a little bit. And finally, he said something that really struck me. He said, Robert, your, your sin is breaking God's heart. I had never heard that before. And um, I said, what? What do you mean my sin is hurting, breaking God's heart? I said, it, it's that's impossible. How can, even if he does exist, how can me being who I am, even have any kind of an impact on him. And he was very, you know, very nonchalant, just looked at me straight in the eyes and said, you know, you don't have to believe me. Why don't you ask him? And that was even more intriguing. I said, what do you mean ask him? He said, well, yeah, why don't you kneel in that chair that you're sitting and ask God to show you what your sin is doing to him? Well, at this point, I felt kind of challenged. I mean, I was not aware that you could even have anything like that. So I knelt in the chair and uh, I just basically said, show me what my sin is doing to you. And the Holy Spirit came upon me and my heart started to break. And I wept and I wept and I wept. Probably 15, 20 minutes. And the guy, he didn't try to save me. He didn't try to lead me to the Lord. He didn't do nothing. He just sat there. And uh, after the, the presence, of, I just kept begging. I just kept asking God, please don't show me anymore. That's all that could come out of my words, out of my mouth. The only words that could come out of my mouth was show me no more. Finally, it subsides a little bit. So I, um, I sit up in my chair. There's a bunch of tears in the in the metal chair that I had been kneeling. And I just asked the guy, what do I have to do to not break God's heart anymore? And he said, you need to repent. <laughs> and you need to have Christ come into your life. Mm -hmm. And that was 50 years ago, two days ago. Wow. And uh, that's one thing about revival. When God touches you, you know you've been touched. And... Uh, and then he called me to preach right away. I mean, I didn't know anything about preaching, but I started going out on the streets, the same streets that I used to, you know, go and uh, deal drugs and, and party. Now I was preaching on those streets. So um, that's how I started as a preacher. And I want to ask you a question because there's there's something about repentance and there's a... a, a 
There's something about repentance and about the message of repentance in the New Testament, especially when you talk about Jesus. And, uh, you know, I've been reading the Old Testament the last couple of months, and there was there's a word that a lot of times, and I know you, you taught us that many, many years ago, but the word I'm looking for is the word restitution. Because even in the Old Testament, you know, under God's law, when you when you did something, you're seen against somebody, you got to have restitution, not only, you know, repair the damage or ask for forgiveness, but there was always something you need to do. And, you know, in the New Testament, we see Jesus walking and we have uh, the story of the tax collector that invites Jesus to his house. And then he said, you know, I, I want Jesus, but I, whatever I stole from the from the poor, I'm going to give and I'm going to restitute. And that's something that in your testimony that really impacted me because you, you, you were in the military, and thank you for your service, by the way. And uh, you were part of, and you know, there was a lot of things before you met, met Christ. But one of the things in your testimony that really, really impacted me was that restitution. Well, yeah. Um, I was taught early on that, you know, if you, uh, if you really want to serve God, you got to make things right. So uh, <clears throat> I had quite a few things that I needed to make right. And, uh, you know, I, I kept my mouth shut at first. I didn't say anything. But, you know, as uh, the, a few days went on and, you know, started talking about, you know, where I had been, what I had done, I started kind of bragging a little bit about some of the crimes that I had committed. And I remember that the, the team leader of the, the, the uh, it was the Agape Force, the team leader of, that was there in Los Banos, his name is Jim Henry. Uh, he was uh, kind of a legal guy. And he heard me bragging and, and he just looked at me and said, well, Robert, uh, you can't be a Christian until you make that right. Hmm. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you're going to have to go and, and confess to the judge what you've done. I said, you're crazy. You throw me in jail. And he, I mean, he was no nonsense type of guy. He just said, well, then you can't be a Christian. I said, but I want to be a Christian. I said, well, then you need to do this. And uh, I remember I went... Uh, uh, to my, uh, I went home and I was telling my mom who was a, who was a Christian and you know, a devout Christian and she wanted me to be a Christian and when I told her that she says no nah, no nah, he's crazy <laughs> you know if you do that he's going to throw you in jail and uh, and I wrestled with it for a couple of weeks and uh, and I just I just didn't feel like I was a Christian but I wanted to be one so finally one day I told Jim hey. Uh, Let's go. And we had to drive from Los Banos to San Jose. And he drove me. I remember he had a little briefcase, like a little lawyer. And uh, and he drove me to, to San Jose. And we went into the courthouse. And uh, and I told the judge. I um, I told him, listen, I'm here because I, I did these things. And, uh, and when I was here before, I lied. And that's probably why you let me off, because... Because I lied, and basically I had lied that that was my first time that I had had a clear record, and I didn't. And you know, back then I guess they couldn't they didn't have the computers to check and all that, so they had kind of believed me. So the judge just kind of looked at me, kind of perplexed, and said, "What are you doing?" I said, "Well, I I, I want to be a Christian," and I, I pointed at, at Jim. I said, "And he said I can't be a Christian unless I do this." Then the judge kind of looked at him, and. Uh, and said, do you realize that uh, just from what you're telling me that I could uh, just pick up the phone and the, uh, they would pick you up and probably take you to, to jail for a long period of time? 
because you're confessing to some crimes. I said, yeah, I know that. He says, and you're still doing it? I said, I want to be a Christian. And the, the judge just shook his head and he looked at Jim and said, hey, listen, I'm going to give him probation for a year. He's going to be under your care. And if he does one thing wrong, call me and we'll pick him up. So uh, I was, that's how I got stuck the first year in the Agape Force. I was on probation. <laughs> and, and that's something very important because a lot of times we don't preach about that. We don't talk about that. And a lot of times it's part of Christianity. When you're talking about, you know, real Christianity and about serving God, a lot of times, and we have seen examples, and you've seen more than me. And, you know, I've been in ministry 20 plus years. I've been in ministry 50 years. You know how people sometimes they don't make things right. They want to say, you know, they want to take a shortcut with God. And there's so many, many stories we can talk about. So, but it's encouraging to hear that. And since you're the early on, in your uh, in your first years, uh, you were part of the Agape Force. For those of you that you don't know, it was a ministry of young people during the Jesus Movement that started discipleship training schools all over the U.S. And a lot of ministers, a lot of churches, a lot of missionaries were born out of that movement. A lot of Christian music, a lot of things were born. I, I mean, it was uh, impacted a whole generation. And during those early years, I remember you uh, tell stories because you met Leonard Ravenhill during those early years. So can you talk a little bit how those early years were like around Leonard Ravenhill? Because here in East Texas, we were the privilege of having, you know, he lived here for, for a few years, uh, pretty much in his retirement years, if I understand correctly. So why you learn from people like him when you were a young Christian? Well, I think God just really spoiled me because uh, uh, when we moved to Texas, when the ministry moved to, Tex uh, to Texas from California, and uh, uh, the ministry was real good friends with uh, David Wilkerson also. And, uh, and then Leonard Ravenhill came to the area. So uh, we had these, uh, these, these guys in, in our lives, you know, just like in the little, we'd go to Bible study. And then they'd be there. And I remember going to uh, Brother Leonard's prayer meeting many times. And, uh, and he would just pray. And it, I mean, the power of God would be in that place. But I have one uh, one kind of funny experience. You know, a lot of times, you know, we, we listen to Leonard Ravenhill. We think that he didn't have a sense of humor, but he was witty. And uh, you know, I wasn't real close to him, but he knew who I was. And you know, we you know first base, and we could talk as friends. And uh, he had, I think, it was a Monday night prayer meeting, and I was faithful. And uh, and I didn't go one Monday night because I went fishing. And uh, you know, a couple of days later, I, I saw him. He was walking on the Agape Force property. And so I went up to him and I said, hey, Brother Lynn, how you doing? How was the prayer meeting Monday? And you know, he told me how the prayer meeting had gone. I said, well, I I didn't go. Uh, and then, you know, I, said, I, uh, I went fishing. And he just kind of stopped and looked at me and just got a little grin on his uh, face. And he said, well, Robert, don't worry about it. You know, uh, Peter went fishing. Then he kind of smirked a little bit and kind of turned halfway and kind of as, I, as he was walking off, he said, when he was backslidden. <laughs> and that, you know, it was kind of funny, but it was true. And that's, uh, that's kind of how he was. He would, he would say some very truthful things, but uh, with a lot of love. You know, a lot of you guys have probably heard some, of, or some of you have probably heard some of his preachings. And it seems like just fire and brimstone. But he he was a very loving man. And mm -hmm. he really loved God and loved people. So when you first started in ministry, you have a lot of experiences 
with people from that, I mean, like that caliber. So I, one one thing when I see you and when, I mean, I, I know you for 20, almost 25 years now, and, and what word that defines you is radical Christianity. And, and uh, it, because you, you taught us that since the beginning, when you, when we, when I started in ministry, we, you always taught us, you know, you want to be a Christian, you got to be radical. You got to hate sin. You got to love God. And, you know, and, and I, I know we don't have the time in this episode to cover a lot of the topics that I want you to talk about. We're going to have to have a follow-up episode. But today, uh, to wrap up this episode specifically, and you're talking about your testimony, you're talking about the Jesus movement, you're talking about the things that are happening now. I mean, I, and there's people that are saying that there's some similarities between the Jesus movement and what is happening now in the sense that it's happening with young people and it's happening not in the... I will say in a church setting like we're used to, what are the things that you will, I know you pray for revival, you love revival. What do you tell young people right now what is happening? What, what, do you, what is your advice for young people that you know, you're, you know the, the new generation, we call it Generation C, my kids, your grandkids. What do you tell them about what is happening now? Wow, it's not very complicated, actually. Um, do you want to, to continue going to the church that you've been going sometimes? Because most of you probably don't even go regularly. And my question would be, why don't you go regularly? And, uh, and I don't know about you, but I have been glued to the, the YouTube channel that's been uh, broadcasting the revival and, uh, and watched hours and hours and hours. And uh, I can't really sit there and watch, you know, 15 minutes of a typical church service so what is the difference that that's that's the question what is the difference uh, and what's going on right now it you know it, it's it's really not that spectacular when you think of it uh, the preaching is not like wow it's, it's not like a um, David Wilkerson you know preaching on repentance type of thing uh, yet people are getting saved and people are uh, confessing their sin they're there is a uh, an atmosphere of holiness that is beginning to to develop, and uh, I guess the choice is very simple. You know, there's a lot of critics out there that are saying that this is not of God, that this is this, this is that, and my question is very simple. Well, uh, what do you want, this or that? What we have had for the last twenty years, which is, ah, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't want to say it, but I I will dead religion, you know, or do you want something that's a little alive? Now, this may not fit uh, what most people think Christianity should be, but uh, does the other fit what Christianity should be? Hmm. You know, we go to, I go to church sometimes, uh, and it's usually very boring. It's very predictable. You get in at 10, and you fool around for a few minutes uh, before the service starts and somebody calls it to order. Everybody runs to their seats. The pastor greets you or some the greeter greets you, whoever the greeter is. And then they have uh, a couple of jazzy songs and then a couple of uh, slower songs. And then the guy that is good with taking up offerings comes and pressures you into giving your tithes and offerings. And then uh, the guy that's going to preach... Uh, gives you a message that uh, if you went to church yesterday, you probably don't remember what he preached because you weren't paying attention. So it, 
is that what you want or is this what you want? What what I've been I haven't been to uh, Asbury. I wanted to go and and uh, you know I I just haven't made the time or and, and now it looks like I can't because they're only allowing twenty five and under. <laughs> so maybe I, I miss my opportunity. But I'll, I'll keep watching it and it's inspiring. I mean we we'll sit there at night for hours and it's and it's just like wave after wave of the presence of God coming upon you. And it's not fancy. I mean, the, the musicians aren't great. I mean, I'm not a musician, but I can tell you they're they're pretty good, but not not great. And the preaching is all right. I've heard some really good preaching, yet God is there. Hmm. So uh, that makes all the difference. So if you're doubting that this is God, uh, I would ask you, uh, why don't you doubt that uh, your church service yesterday was not of God? Yeah. You know that'd be a, that'd be a good place to start, yeah. and maybe a little harsh, but uh, you know somebody has to say it. I remember you used to say years and years ago, the depth of your repentance equals the height of your revival. Yeah. You know, repentance precedes revival, and you know, and sometimes. We cannot box God. A lot of people are trying to box God, and we can. He can do his God. He can do what he wants. He can use, I, I, I don't know, when I when I think and I see you, uh, you know, a lot of the former generations are the ones criticizing. I, I, I was thinking about the story and the parable of the owner of the of the of the land of the vineyard and you know he left and then he started hiring people in the streets and there were some people that they were hired just to work for a couple hours and then when he was paying everybody some of the people that were working all day long when they saw that the guy was paying them you know a full salary they were complaining because they say i i've been working all day long and, and you know that's and sometimes we we get you know we we been, we get challenged about these young people. You know, these young people. Some of them they were not even Christians a month ago. Some of them were maybe raised up in church, but God is using them. And I think He is God. He can do whatever He wants. Yeah. Well, He definitely is God, and He's gonna He's gonna do what He uh, what He has set out to do. And uh, I don't know. I mean, this this to me is uh, is very uh, it's like a, a breath of fresh air. To see this happening, uh, it's it's exciting. Um, you know, I wouldn't contemplate most most Sunday mornings getting out of bed and going 15 minutes to a church, and yet I have really contemplated driving 11 hours uh, and getting to a little town that is not even allowing any more people to go into the town and take the chance of maybe getting into the town and then taking a greater chance of maybe getting into the the building that. Uh, that has a bunch of people that are not that professional singing with God's presence in the midst. Mm. So that's the difference between revival and uh, Christianity today. Yeah, yeah, and, and I just, uh, I want to wrap this episode. We're going to have another episode talking about other things. But I want to wrap this episode saying, well, we have to be hungry for revival. Mm-hmm. That's one thing that you taught me and Christy for the last 20 plus years. You, you always have to be hungry for revival. We cannot live without it. Uh, the situation in America, and I know you, you follow the news very well, situation in America is devastating. Uh, we need revival. We need to have this, what is happening, grow. 
We're praying, and I know you're praying for this fire to spread out to uh, other colleges and universities here in Texas, all over the U.S. We want this fire to be spread out. We, we have a young generation that needs an encounter God. And this is the reason why we do this podcast. We want people to hear your testimony. We want people to hear from you because there's a new generation that needs to hear that this is real. And if it's happening, we got to be hungry for it. We got to embrace it. And I know you've been through a revival before and I want to have that, but I don't want to put it in this episode because that's another story. But just to wrap up this episode, so... I know you already encourage young people to look for it, to seek for it. What do you tell pastors and leaders? Wow, I, I can just tell you what God told me uh, when I was uh, I was a missionary in uh, Mexico for many years, and I was pastoring the church in the city of Zacatecas, and we've been praying uh, praying for revival pretty intensely for quite a while. And uh, one day I was asking God, you know. Uh, when he was going to send revival and why he hadn't sent it already. And uh, and then he spoke to me very clearly and he said, uh, Robert, you are the chief cornerstone. And then there was a pause of tropiezo. How do you say tropiezo in English? Uh, stumbling stone. The, a, a chief stumbling stone in me not sending revival. So he kind of, you know, set me up first. I thought I was going to be some great hero, you know, that I was uh, um, uh, like the main rock to bring revival to the nation. And basically, I was the main hindrance. So uh, he really dealt with me strongly in that aspect. And maybe God doesn't deal with you like that, but God has always dealt with me very, very harshly. And I think I take that that he loves me a lot. Because, you know, to whom much is given, much is required. And he's given me a lot. So that's what I would say to pastors. Yeah. Get out of the way. Uh, don't be a stumbling stone like I was. And let revival come. And uh, we'll pick up the pieces later. Uh, it'll be glorious. There'll be so much, so much work to do that uh, you won't have to worry about job security. Okay. So that's what I would say to pastors and leaders. Yeah. Trust God. Trust you know, at, le- at the end of the day, you know, we travel all over the world and we see that we have we, we, we have a need for young ministers. And what revival does is revival, you know, sets people ablaze for God. And those are the ones that we need. You know, we, we're still praying. And I know that's one of your prayers. Lord, send laborers to the harvest. Yeah. There's a great harvest. We talk about the harvest so much. But... The more we, we do this, the more we need help and we need people. And, you know, revival, one of the things that I see in revival brings is brings people. When you get on fire with God, when you repent, like, would have, like that happened to you the next day, you are preaching. And I'm not saying that has to happen to everybody. But what I'm saying is you can only give what you have. That's something I learned from you. You cannot give what you don't have. So if you do have revival, you can give it away. So uh, we're going to wrap this episode. We're going to uh, have another episode talking about revival. I, I would like Robert to speak about what happened in Zacatecas. I know that's going to encourage a lot of people. We're going to learn a lot from that. So thank you so much for this episode. Thank you so much for your time. Welcome.